If you have a Bible tonight, turn with me to Genesis chapter 5 and chapter 6. Adam's family and Noah's ark. Last week, we witnessed the fall of man. As we looked at Genesis chapter 3, they they fell from God's grace uh, to sin, the Adamic sin that we acquire and that we're born with. They ate of the forbidden fruit. It started with the sin of disobedience. They disobeyed what God said. God said, do not eat from the tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve, we know, chose to disobey, and she ate the forbidden fruit. Then Adam followed suit. The results, sin enters, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And again, I've often thought of the Garden of Eden. I think the descriptions that we get in the, in the scriptures and then the descriptions that, you know, we can look at in our own pictures, uh, in our mind, in our heart, is nothing compared to what they were involved in. It just had to be uh, incredibly beautiful. Then we went to Genesis chapter 4. We witnessed witnessed because of sin now, the first murder in the Bible. Cain kills his brother Abel. This too was the result of Adam's sin. Remember that God addressed Adam, the prophet, priest, and king of the home. The one that was responsible. Yet Eve is the one that partook of the fruit. But the responsible party, because, uh, uh, you know, the purpose of creation, the man was created first. And so he was subject to this. And so let's get into Genesis chapter 5 now. And it's interesting. uh, We're going to see Adam's family. And I want you to write this down. In Luke chapter 3, verses 36 to 38, Luke speaks about uh, the family of Adam. And so, you know, a lot of times you look at the Old Testament and you wonder and you ask, because I wasn't there, obviously. And then you see all these, you're going to see some ages tonight and you're going to see some names and you go, well, wait a minute, what's this about? And yet here's the New Testament, Luke is writing about it. And so we begin here. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. I love that. In Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all the cattle, over all the, the, the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God gave man dominion over his creation. But in Genesis 1.26, when they say us, let us make men in our image. Who are they speaking to? There are those who believe in the image of angels, or he's speaking about that the angels were there. But uh, we have to believe, believe, excuse me, in the Trinity. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe that's who the us is. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he called them mankind, and the day that they were created. Now, I want you to remember this. In Genesis 1 and 2, we studied the creation of God. In six days, he created. But after each time that God created, remember those words? It was good. That was God's response. It was good. And you know, we have this tendency to murmur and complain. You know, in the old days, I remember the 60s. Why was I born into this world? And yet, this is God's creation. 
A lot of times people look in the mirror and they say, well, why was I born? Why was I created? Look how ugly I am and look at, look at this and look at that. And yet, in a sense, you're mocking, listen, God's creation. Didn't God say it was good? He said, there's Bob, it was good. I might not like, you know, how I've turned out. And that's why we come to Christ. But God's creation, remember that, it is good. In verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begot sons in his own likeness and in his own image. This is speaking about the gene pool. And he named him Seth. This is after the death of Abel and the departure of Cain, Seth. Now, uh, I like to do Old Testament names from time to time. Uh, I couldn't do them all tonight. It'd be so crazy. But Seth in the Hebrew means appointed. And he was appointed. I like that. He replaces Abel. Uh, who was killed. And then Cain, uh, he murdered his brother, so uh, he was ostracized, sent out. After he begot Seth, verse 4, the days of Adam were 800 years. Mark that. And he had sons and daughters. So Adam, an early man, before the flood, now remember that, before the flood, they lived to be 800 to 900 years old. You have to remember, as we shared, scientists know this now. The earth was in a greenhouse effect. There was a canopy of water all, all around the world. We're going to see next week. When the flood came forth, the waters came from the heavens and the waters came uh, from the earth. God opened up, if you, uh, you can say that, the floodgates. And it rained. And it covered the highest peaks. And I believe it was a global Flood, not just the local flood. We'll get more of that next week. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and then he died. And we're going to be seeing this statement. I don't care how long you live. You're going to die. Now today, we're hoping to get into our 70s and 80s. But in those days, ah, I still got time. Can you imagine 930 years? And we're going to see that it's going to become less after the flood. Because the, the, the canopy effect, the greenhouse effect, no longer exists. And we know today, the scientists will tell you, that the ultra, ul, ul, ultraviolet rays is what kills you. It begins to, you know, break you down. And so Moses, remember Moses? 120 years. And so it becomes less and less, church. But notice now, after each statement, when we're going to read the family of Adam, and he died. Death is inevitable. Uh, Seth lived 105 years, and he begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. Imagine having children at that age. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and here's that statement, and he died. Now, I want you to write this down, and it's going to go each time with each statement, and he died. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, Paul writes, It is appointed unto man to die once. Very important there. That takes care of reincarnation. Don't think that you're going to come back as a, as a slug, and I don't know why you would want to come back as one. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, tonight, I have to give you some insight. We're going to die one day. 
unless we are that church, the body of Christ, that God is going to bring forth the rapture of the church. And I tell you what, I anticipate that it would happen in our time because I don't see any more prophecies that have to be fulfilled. I mean, it would be so cool that we don't die physically and that the rapture of the church takes place. And like I shared Sunday, I hope they come and knock down the walls, knock down the doors of this church. You can have everything. Why would you want to be left behind? And yet there's going to be those that are left behind. In verse 9, Enosh lived 99, 90 years, and he begot Canaan. Now, Canaan is not uh, Cain, okay? After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. And he, uh, so also, the days of Enosh were 905 years. And there's that statement again. He died. Now, if you'd like to write in your Bible, I do. Right next to each time it says he died, I put Hebrews 9.27. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalal, and he begot Mahalal. Uh, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Canaan uh, were 910 years, and he died. Hebrews 9.27 again. And Mahalal lived 65 years and begot Jared. And he begot Jared, and Mahalal lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalel were 895 years. And there's that statement again. He died. Hebrews 9, 20, 27. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. And after he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years. And there's that statement again. And he died. Now Enoch, finally, we get to Enoch and something changes. You kind of get a little bit repetitious here. You're either going to live 900 and something or 800 and something. Either way, you're going to die. And then we've been repeating Hebrews 9.27. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Now Enoch lived, listen to this, 65 years, and he begot Methuselah. Now we know, you know, it, it cracks me up because you watch game shows. And they, heathens know who the oldest person was. Oh, they don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. But they all know who Methuselah is. And Methuselah is the one that lived the longest. And so Enoch, I want you to see his name. Dedicated. Consecrated. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Very important here. And, and if you want to pattern your life after somebody in the Old Testament, Enoch is one of those characters. Enoch lived 600 or, or 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, verse 22, mark it, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years in the Lord that he walked with God. This coming June, Mary and I will be born again of the Holy Spirit for 31 years. And I go, wow, that's a long time. And then I read this today and I go, wow, 365 years. What a blessing. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. What a testimony. Methuselah lived 187 years and he begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. 
And so all the days of Methuselah, and here's the oldest man that's ever been recorded, 969 years, and yet there's the same statement. We're back to it. He died. And so back to Hebrews 9.27. But when we finish the chapter here, I want to talk a little bit about Enoch. Verse 28, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, Noah. The rapture of the church. Methuselah, a type of the ones that are going to go through the tribulation. Noah is a type that they're protected. I mean, it's so beautiful. Lamech means strong youth in the Hebrew. In verse 29, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and our toil of our hand, because the ground which the Lord had cursed. You have to work the land. Remember that? We talked about it last week. The women were cursed in the fact that they would have children and it would not be an easy task. And then the women were cursed that they would be in submission to their own husband as unto the Lord. But the man's curse... But the ground was going to be cursed, and he would have to work it. Now imagine in those days, you had to till the ground. You had to work the ground. And still today, if you don't work, the scripture says you don't eat. And so even the farmers today have to till the land. And so you go to school, you say, I'm going to get an education. You still have to till the land. You've got to get that education. And then you're going to go to work, whatever it might be. We mentioned last week, even if you're flipping a burger, you're still working. Nobody's going to give it to you for free. And so it's all part of the curse, and, and man is going to sweat from his brow. And sure enough, any one of you have ever worked hard, you know exactly what it means. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. Now, Noah, listen to his name. Again, I'm intrigued by some of the names, translation. In the Hebrew, his name, Noah, means rest, quiet, and it means relief. And that's what's going to happen for that time that they are in the ark. Interesting, because judgment is going to come, but he's inside that ark. And church, you know this. He proclaimed for 120 years the gospel message. And nobody got in except him and his family, his three sons and their wives. I mean, the number eight always speaks of new beginnings. I've always been intrigued by the story of Noah. The animals obeyed and they went two by two. And man, oh, it ain't going to rain. It's never rained. Now, put yourself in their, their position. Canopy effect, greenhouse effect. Everything's a moisture. It's lush. What's rain? You don't even know the word rain. But I want you to think of that first drop. But we'll share it next week. That first drop hits somebody right in the nose. You know when you've been out there, and my wife will say, I think it's going to rain. Nah. And all of a sudden, the blow. something hits your nose, something hits your head, something hits your eyes. You know, and you go, uh-oh. And before you know it, here it comes. That was the effect. Verse 31, so all the days of Lamech were 777 years. I love that number. And, but even though you love the number, the sevens are the number of God. He died, Hebrews 9, 27. Verse 32, and Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, let's get back to chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, kind of bring it together. The deaths of men 
recorded in an unbroken chain until Enoch. I like that. Enoch was taken from the earth by God. Now, Enoch is a type of the rapture of the church. Enoch is a man of God, a man of faith. You find Enoch in Hebrews 11.5. I want to read it to you. In Hebrews 11.5, remember the Hebrews chapter 11? It's called the faith chapter. They're called the heroes of faith. And so we talked about it when we were in the book of Hebrews. These were people of faith. And Enoch is part of it. Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was taken away. The best translation there, he was translated so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Again, I like to pattern my life after certain characters. I like to see myself as Paul the Apostle. I like to see myself, you know, as Abraham, a man of faith. But what about a man like Enoch? A man that pleased God. I hope and pray, however long you've been a Christian, that that's been a prayer in your heart at one time or another. Lord, I want to please you. You see, in the world, we pleased man. In the world, we please, you know, the boyfriend or the girlfriend. In the world, we please maybe even our bosses. In the world, we please, you know, our teachers, our professors, whatever it might be. And so we're there. We please people. And so, bottom line, are we a God pleaser? Or are we a man pleaser? And so, do I please, listen to the translation in the Hebrew, do I, or in the Greek here, because it's taken from the book of Hebrews, do I gratify God? Does my testimony stand out before the Lord? Forget about people. People will see your testimony. But is your testimony, you know, is it on fire before the Lord? That is my servant. Now, Enoch represents the church. Listen which will also be taken out of this world. I believe strongly in the rapture of the church. And let's be fair. There are three groups that believe in the rapture of the church. Pre, pre-rapture, that's what Calvary Chapel, and I have studied it. And I, you know, I believe we're going to be raptured out of the church. I don't believe that the seven years of tribulation are for the church. I believe that the seven years of tribulation is to draw Israel back, uh, that they would know Messiah. And so Enoch represents the church. He's the type of the church will be taken out of the world. But Noah, listen to this, he represents the 144,000 Jews who will have to go through the tribulation here on earth, but will be protected by God. Now, on your own, you want to study the rapture of the church. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. There's other passages. I just give you this one the rapture of the church, and the 144,000. I want you to study Revelation chapter 7. It's very important that we know who the 144,000. It tells us that there are 144,000, that they're Jews, and that they're single. They're men. Jehovah Witnesses believe that if you strive and you knock on a, enough doors, <laughs> uh, you can be one of those 144,000. 
Now, it's interesting. I have asked Jehovah's Witnesses, and they believe that only, listen to this, only 144,000 are going to go to heaven. Why did we talk about a heavenly inheritance last week on Sunday? If only 144, do you realize what that would do? You would strive. I got to be one of those. I got to be one of those. I mean, 144,000 is a lot, but when you speak about mankind, it's not a lot. Well, I hope I'm one of those 144,000. And I tell you what, I've had Jehovah Witnesses come to the door in times past, and I've asked them, do you think you'll be one of the 144? Oh, we pray and hope. Are you Jewish? No. You're not going to make it. Are you male or female? They're looking at me. Well, I'm a female. You're not going to make it. See, your doctrine doesn't hold up. Doesn't make sense. I mean, you have no hope. So when you're dead, you're dead. That's not what our Bible says. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I like this. Let me repeat it. Enoch is the type of the church which will be taken out of this world at the rapture of the church. Noah is a type of the 144,000 Jews who have to go through the tribulation. Now we get into Genesis chapter 6. And the wickedness of man, God's judgment. Now it's very difficult when we come to this place. But remember what we just read. They were having children. And they were having children up, up into their eight, 900 years old. And so the multiplications take off. I don't know math that well. But if you go to websites, uh, they will give you some insights. And I'm going to give you the best scenario. They believe that at this time before the flood came, that the earth was anywhere between 5 and 6 billion people. They do the math. And that's where our earth is at today. You see, God finally, you know, he gets enough of sin. And he says, that's it. Time for judgment. I believe that our world today is very ripe, listen, for judgment. What is holding back the judgment of God right now? I believe it's the grace of God. Because I don't see any scriptures that need to be fulfilled. Honestly, Jesus could come at any moment. But it's his grace right now. It's his grace right now. And you're going to have all those that are going to argue the point, but that's okay with me. So Noah is told to prepare the ark. You see, God always has a remnant of his people. And God always has his that he protects. There's going to be those that are going to get saved during the time of the tribulation. And a lot of them will be killed. But God will sustain them. God will protect them. It's believed that a lot of Jews are going to be uh, hiding in Petra. And I've always been intrigued by that passage. You can go in the Old Testament you can find it. And there are those evangelicals that have gone to Petra and they want to store food. You don't think God's going to take care of them? What are you going to store? I mean, beef jerky, is it going to last? You know, I mean, people, the way they think, did not God take care of the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness? Didn't he give them manna from heaven? 
And even when they cried out for meat, didn't he give them quail? And when they wanted water, didn't he provide water? Didn't he provide a, a pillar of fire by night so they could see? Didn't he provide, uh, you know, a cloud by day to shield them from the sun? Ladies, every morning, think about it. You would get out of your tent if you were a Hebrew mom, and you would go gather manna. And remember the Hebrew word? What is it? That's it. That's it. It looked like snow, in a sense. And they would go gather it and make their, you know, manna tacos and the rest of the things that they made. But let's go on here. Genesis chapter 6. I'm not sure if they made manna tacos. But now it came to pass when men began to multiply, okay, on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. Listen. That the sons of God saw daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all who they chose. Now keep this in mind. We're going to get back to it. Who are these? And the Lord said, my spirit, this is important. My spirit shall not always strive with man, he says, forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days. Listen to the time schedule here. 120 years. In the time of Noah, they had 120 years to repent. They had 120 years that they could have got into the ark. But they mocked Noah and Noah's children. You know, God always gives an opportunity. We shared that Sunday. And they did not get in. Now, I look at this 120 years. You realize that the gospel has been preached since Jesus rose again from the dead, 40-day post-resurrection. He went into heaven, ascended into heaven. And the church became alive. In Acts chapter 2, uh, the prophecies of Joel chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the church has never been the same. And so for the last 2,000 years, the gospel has been preached. And we're told in Romans chapter 1, man is without excuse. Nobody will ever stand before the throne room of God and say, you never told me. Oh, especially our United States of America. Now, in verse 3, we have been reading, before the flood, the average age was 800, 900 plus years. After the flood, man's age was decreased, listen, to 120 years. And then it's going to get less. In verse 4, and then we're going to get back up to, they took wives for themselves. In verse 4, there were giants on the earth. And in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now, these sons of God, listen, some believe that these are the fallen angels who were cast out of heaven with Lucifer. You read that in Revelation chapter 12. A third of the angels went with Lucifer. Now, the fallen angels who kept not their first estate. You can read about that in Jude, verses 6 and 7. These produced a race of wicked giants on the earth. What we're looking at here in Genesis 6, verses 4 through 7. Others say, since angels, and mark this down, are sexless, Matthew chapter 22, verse 30, others believe that the key is found in the words, they took them wives, in Genesis 2, 
uh, Genesis 6-2. It signifies marriage. So how can angels be married? Because angels are sexless, uh, that some of the godly line, this is what another concept, that some of the godly line of Seth intermarried with the godless line of Cain, his offsprings, and created uh, these race of giants. Now, I, I gave you the, the three points there. You asked me, well, which, where do you stand? You know, I really don't know because it can go either way. I don't lean to that these are uh, angels of God that, you know, were fallen. They could have been the ones that fallen, but not. They could not have sex. Angels are sexless. And so could it have changed after they were cast uh, to, ha or to well, actually, they were bound to go to hell eventually, but they went down to the earth. They became the demon population. We don't know, but there were giants in the land. That's what we do know. And they had to come and take these giants out. And so this was all part of the curse, all part of the wickedness of man. But judgment is going to come. Verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that the, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Listen, in other words, man's heart was evil. And you have to ask the question, is man's heart evil today? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. How many people are in churches throughout our city in comparison to, are they at the bars? You better believe it. Are they at the ball games over here at the park? Yes. I mean, man finds everything to do except to come to church. Now, you are the faithful. You're, you know, you're accustomed to come to church on Sunday. You're accustomed to come to church on, on Wednesday nights. Now, listen to this. There was a time we were accustomed to go to church Sunday nights, but that totally has died out in some of the different cities. We don't have too many uh, Sunday night services here in Cruces, and only the big Calvaries in uh, Southern California are the ones that are having Sunday night services. But I hate to admit it, it's a dying art. People don't want to go to church anymore. But there was a time when the Spirit of the Lord was upon everybody's heart, but now... The Spirit of the Lord is still there. But listen, hearts are evil. That's why I believe that we need to have another outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In verse 6, then the Lord was sorry, now underline that, uh, that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The King James, verse 6 here, it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. Now, the Hebrew word for repentance is not the same word that we understand. We're supposed to repent from our sins, have a change of mind, have a change of heart, have a change of direction. We're to confess our faults unto the Lord, and he's faithful and just to forgive us. But this word repentance that God speaks of, of himself, is to sigh, or to be sorry. Because God can't repent. Because God knows no sin. God was grieved. That means that he was pained. There was pain in his heart. Oh, look at the people, man. I created them. I created them in my image. This is why when we sin, it also grieves the Holy Spirit. Simple logic, and don't forget this, 
God can't repent as we know repentance because he is God and there is no sin about him. So the Lord said, verse 7, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and birds of the air, for I am sorry. I have sighed, and I am sorry that I have made them. There is a time and a place, listen to this, there is a time and a place when God says, enough, enough. When we get to Sodom and Gomorrah, in Genesis chapter 19, God says, enough. And I tell you what, church, again, I'm convinced the grace of God is still here. Because one day, enough. One day, enough. You know, as well as I know, the homosexual community has increased. I mean, in the last five, ten years. And it's not going to get better, it's going to get worse. And now everybody's open about it. Judgment is coming. Mark my words. Now, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two, they went into the ark. Interesting. <laughs> There's the obedience. And everything that creeps on the earth, two by two, they went into the ark to Noah male and female, to God, as God had commanded Noah, excuse me. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. So Noah, they're giving us some insight here. Now he's going to be told to build this ark. And there's been a lot of controversy on this one too. And right now today in Mount Ararat, the ark sits. Many believe that. They've taken the pictures and all this. But the Turkish uh, government will not let you in there. And personally, I think it's good. Because they'd bring that ark out and they would idolize it. They would make another golden calf. Or imagine, okay, the ark, you're going to get the sizes here pretty good size, right? Can you imagine how much money could be made off of relics? Hey, get your little ark right here, man. $29.95 on eBay. Over here at Hastings. And then bring it to the church and we'll bless it, man. I mean, people will go for it. That's, that's human nature. So God looked upon the earth, verse 12, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, what about today? Is it corrupt today? Yes. You know, our response, and this is my response, it's even more corrupt, Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, it was corrupt in the time of Noah. It is corrupt in our time. You see, you can't, you know, say, well, it's worse then or worse now. You can't do that. Because sin is sin in the eyes of God. And so now, Noah is told by God to prepare the ark. And I want you to write this down. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, speaks about Noah. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, uh, or verse 20, excuse me, speaks about Noah. And again, a lot of times when you see Old Testament characters, passages, 
And, you know, you go, oh, come on, that was Old Testament. Fairy tale stuff. I mean, over here uh, uh, in, in the children's ministry, it's to keep them entertained, you know. But yet in the New Testament, it speaks about it. How many times we, we heard, how can you believe in Jonah and the great fish? And then Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, Messiah, speaks of Jonah. And in fact, he gives a relationship of three days in the great belly of the fish, three days, the Son of Man. And then it's just as Nineveh, you know, Jonah went out there in Nineveh, Jesus resurrected from the dead. There's a picture for you. So we begin in verse 13. And God said to Noah, he says, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And again, uh, every time I'm reading these passages, and I'm making reference in my mind and my heart to the 21st century, I go, Lord, you're not paying attention, Lord. Oh, yes, yes. God's in charge. God's in control. And he'll do it in his time, not my time or your time. But God has a plan, church. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, there's been a struggle with the word pitch. It's a type of tar. It's an oil substance. We know it had to have been a sticky sealant. And the doors of the ark were sealed. Sealed with this pitch. Oil, how many times we brought it forth, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. Verse 15, this is how you shall make it. God gives the specifications. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. Now a cubit, if you look at your arm, from the index finger to the elbow, it's about 18 inches. And so that's basically the size of a cubit. Now, again, if you go to the internet, there's some beautiful sites, websites that you can look into. And it's estimated that this ark, uh, just to give you an idea, that it would hold anywhere from 525 to 550, that is, railroad boxcars could have fit into the ark very easily, very comfortable. Now, listen to this. One boxcar, these are all figures that your Christian, uh, you know, mathematical people one boxcar could easily hold 124 sheep. If Noah could have easily taken 64,728 sheep into the ark. <laughs> but he only needed a couple. And then he took some extras for offering. But he said two by two. Two by two. And, and I have to include here. Why did Noah or why did God allow, you know, two flies to come in? Why did he allow two mosquitoes to come in? Why did he allow? And you can go down the line. My kids were here. They'd say, why did he allow centipedes? I don't like centipedes. We hate centipedes. You know, take it up with God when we get to heaven, right? But the two by two. And again, church, Noah preached 120 years. Come into the ark. Judgment's coming. Rain's coming. They didn't know what rain was. Yeah, judgment's coming. You old goat, keep building that ark. And remember, Noah's building an ark, huge, massive size, and they don't know what rain is. There's no lake. There's no river. There's no ocean where he's at. 
And yeah, rain's going to come. Oh, they, they had to have jeered that man Noah. Now I want you to think of the boys. You don't think there would have been times that the boys thought within themselves? Hey, I don't know about dad, man. You know, maybe he's been sniffing the tar a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, again, these guys were faithful. Faithful. His sons, listen, were faithful because Noah was faithful. And he taught his children. And that's where we come in as parents. We are to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. And when they are old, they will not depart. And so now he goes into uh, the numbers, and, or he already gave his numbers. Verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark. I like that. One window. And you shall finish it uh, to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in, the, at, in its side. So you shall make it with lower second and third decks. And I heard there's this particular guy that's made an exact replica of Noah's Ark. And you could actually go in. I have, I got somebody sent me some email on that and the pictures are there. It's beautiful. And he made it to the specs that are given in, in the scriptures and people go to it and they love seeing it. I, I don't remember where it's uh, placed at, but it's an actual Ark. In verse 17, and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters, this is God, on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which uh, is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant, I like this, with you, Noah. And you shall go into the ark, your sons and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring in two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be made male and female, excuse me, of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of every after its kind, on the earth that is after its kind. Two of every kind will come uh, to you to keep them alive. And the conclusion, and you shall take for yourself of all the food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and that shall be food for you and for them. Noah had plenty of room for the animals since he only took a pair of each and they came into the ark. Remember God sent the animals two by two to the ark. Noah and his boys did not have to go out and gather them. The animals obeyed God. And I want to think in my mind that the lambs were walking two by two and then God, just to show you his power, he put two tigers, two lions, right behind him. And I mean, if you're a lion, you're looking at the lambs and you're going, lunch. But they wouldn't touch. And they went in, and, and then they're quiet in the ark. I mean, the beauty of God. Now, this question has always been asked. But they're in this ark for over a year. They have one window. What did it smell like inside the ark? Well, a good answer was given. I don't know what the smell was inside of the ark, but the smell of judgment outside of the ark was greater, was greater. 
Now, we'll talk about this more next week. The flood. Was it local or was it global? I believe it was global. You go to certain websites and they tell you that it was a universal flood in North America, South America, uh, Africa, Asia, Australia, Europe. They all write about it. Maybe not exactly how we see the account in Scripture, but it's interesting to me that they write in their archives about this. They find it written. And again, you can, you can see all of this, the various cultures and such. And as we shared, the mathematicians will do it, and they estimate four to five billion people at this time. Now, what is the whole purpose of this? In verse 21, it says, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did it. Obedience. But I want you to turn to a passage. We're going to conclude with that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul the Apostle, and this is why I love the Old Testament. I, I never studied the Old Testament until I came to Saving Grace. And I'll tell you what, I was intrigued by the Old Testament. And when we get to the book of Leviticus, you're going to say, oh man, that's going to be boring. No, it's not. There's a lot of neat stuff in the book of Leviticus, and we need to know that. But Paul tells us, these things were done, listen, for our admonition. What we study in the Old Testament, it's for us. We glean from that so that we don't make the mistakes that our Old Testament brothers and sisters, the saints, did in the time. Paul understood that. Now look at verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10. Paul speaks of the Old Testament examples for us to learn from. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our forefathers or our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the Red Sea. That's what he's saying. We're all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The Red Sea was a type of wisdom for them. All ate of the same spiritual food, the manna that came from heaven. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank uh, of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul gives us the example. And we understand that. Thou art Peter, upon this rock you shall build my church. The rock is Christ. Cloud by day, pillar by night, water came out of the rock. Beautiful. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. That first generation church did not enter the promised land. Forty years in the wilderness. They were a stiff-necked generation. They were a rebellious generation. We are told that Joshua and Caleb and his family, their families, are the only ones that entered the promised land. Remember Moses? He misrepresents God, speak to the rock, he beat the rock. The water came forth. But Moses, because he misrepresented God, was not allowed into the promised land. Look at verse 6 now. Now, these things became our examples, write that down or underline it, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. We are to learn, listen, church, from the mistakes of the Old Testament saying, and do not become idolaters, and that, that was the nation of Israel, as were some of them, as it is written, and he gives a quote here, the people sat down to eat and to drink, 
and they rose up early, or they rose up to play uh, the golden calf. Study that in Exodus chapter 32. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell dead. God brought judgment. God brought judgment. You want to worship idols? I'll bring judgment. You want to commit fornication? I'm going to bring your judgment. You want to commit idolatry? I'm going to bring the judgment. When we get to Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. Now, verse 9, Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by the serpents. Uh, remember the fiery serpents? Study Numbers chapter 21, judgment of the fiery serpents in the wilderness. I'm amazed of all the judgments that you read in the Old Testament. And the children of Israel knew this, but they continued to sin. Answer this. How could you leave 400 plus years of bondage in, in Egypt, 10 plagues that God brought forth? The Pharaoh finally says, leave. They stand there before the Red Sea and then Moses raises up his arms and the staff and it splits and they go right through it. A pillar of fire comes and just sits there and keeps the Egyptian army abreast. They cross the Red Sea. The ground is dry. Two million plus people, herds, carts, and they get to the other side and the pillar of fire retracts and here comes the uh, Egyptian army then Moses raises up his hand again and the staff and the waters come down and they kill the Egyptian army all those miracle signs and wonders and they get uh, to Mount Sinai and because Moses is taking a long time up there to get the laws Aaron make us a calf like we had in Egypt and Aaron does exactly that. You know, I've looked at those passages and I've looked at those Old Testament teachings and I say, how can you guys do that? And the Holy Spirit says, how can you do what you do? You see, we're all sinners saved by grace. We're not perfect. We're not complete until Jesus comes for his church. Let's finish off here. 1 Corinthians 10. Nor complained, verse 10, as some of those also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, God called them a stiff-necked people. In Isaiah chapter 31, he called them a rebellious people. In Ezekiel chapter 2, he called them a rebellious nation. These are the apple of God's eye. Now, here's where we get the example for us. Verse 11. Now, all these things happened to them as e examples and that they were written for our admonition, our learning, our warning upon whom the end of the ages has come. These are just not stories for us to read and to go, wow, that was cool. No. Oh, yeah, the Red Sea. We, are, we read these for our admonition. Learn from them. Glean from them. That's why I love to study the Old Testament. Verse 12 and 13, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Pride. 
There's something about, about pride. Well, I've been a Christian a long time. Uh, I've got it together now. When you put your guard down, that's when the enemy's going to come. And we've studied this many times, and Paul says, listen, I know some of you are going to be going through trials. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation, no trial, no testing has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also, I love this, make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now I can speak from experience after the past 30 years. We've faced some trials that can be tremendous, but I can testify now. God was faithful. God is faithful, and God will remain faithful. He will take us through this. The Campo family is going through a heavy trial right now, but they will survive through it. They will make it. This trial, I believe, I told Pastor Jeff, it's going to make them stronger. Nobody likes to lose their dad, their husband, but it's going to make them stronger. And each one of us, we go through our trials. It makes us stronger. If you want to use the terminology, God makes your hide tougher and tougher. And yet we're going to go through our trials. But we learn from the Old Testament. We learn from these saints. And next week we'll see the flood. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for your precious word. Isaiah tells us so beautifully, your word will not come back void. And Father, I thank you for the Old Testament. I thank you that we can glean from the Old Testament. Bless your saints here this, this evening, Lord. Help us as we're going through trials. Those of us that have those trials, help us to learn from these examples, Lord. And teach us, Lord, to be obedient to your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.